Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay. 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 Ah, what's going on? Are we recording? Yes. <laughs> I have to ask this every time. I need to stop talking shit then about yeah. people we know. Um, he's so cute. He's so cute. Should I just talk about the kitten maybe? Yeah. I don't even know what I'd say about it. What's he doing? Sausage face. Um, I would like to start by acknowledging that there are three of us in the room today. Yes. You, me, and a really, 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 really cute little kitten called Shiva. The third member of After Work Drinks. The After Work Drinks mascot who everyone who follows me on Instagram would have seen over the past week. He's the most adorable cat. He's not mine, but he basically is. Um, So if you hear any rogue noises... (laughs) This week, it's not us smashing martini glasses, though that may happen soon. It's Shiva, the little baby. This is the first time I've, like, been okay with an animal. Yeah, I know. Because you, Grace, never had animals growing up. So um, when I had my cat Frankie in Sydney, she would kind of, like, walk into the room and... I would stomp into the room. <laughs> stomp into the room and have like a basically, basically smash a glass on the floor and then Frankie would have a panic attack and run out and so scared. And then actually it was... One so- time I like slumped on the couch really hard and she like literally flew off the <laughs> And it was so funny because when you came around here for the first time to make Shiva, um, Grace was like, I'm really, really bad with animals. And we, we were like, "She's he's so chill. Um, and we went upstairs and Grace did something weird and she was tail fluffed up into a bush and he looked like he'd seen a ghost. So like he, he never does that. I was like, oh my God, what's wrong with I'm you? I'm like, hello. Yeah. Um, oh but you're, you're getting better. Yeah, I am. So I have finally started listening to our favorite pod now. Um, you're wrong about the three part Jessica Simpson, um, deep dive. And I'm only at the end of episode one, but it is so good. It's so interesting. I don't know all that much about her because I wasn't 
a massive fan when I was younger. No. Um, but this is off the back of the book she released earlier this year. Um, and she talks all about her relationship with her dad and how that was really flawed. She talks all about growing up really religious. Um, and she talks about how she was in the final stages of the Mickey Mouse Club. So they went on this, um, they went on this, uh, kind of training camp thing with all these other young kids to see who would get in to be in the Mickey Mouse Club. And it was Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Gosling, Christina Aguilera Aguilera was there. And, um, she was, her, basically it was going so well and eight out of the 11 kids were going to get in and so well that the people said to Jessica's parents that they needed to start looking for houses in the area. And then on one of the final days in walks another blonde haired, um, brown eyed girl with a Southern accent. And then the guy was like, hi, Britney. Oh my God. Britney Spears. Yeah. And then she didn't get it and Britney Spears got it. Oh. And so for her whole career, she's just been in Britney Spears shadow. Which is a horrible person to be in their shadow because she was the biggest thing in the world. That's so nice. So crazy. Oh, Jada Jessica Simpson. I know. She's done like pretty well for herself. Like I can't think of what she's famous for, but she's so famous. She's famous for what's a song by her? She did that. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> what's that song? That song she did she these did boots. And Nick and was in her music video. These boots are made for walking. Wasn't that her with yes. the cowboy? Boots on and the short denim shorts. All I remember with her is like tiny denim shorts. The shorts. And her, it was the Dukes of Hazard. They did like a remake with Johnny Knoxville and she was. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that song's from that. Okay. I mean, that's, she's done well to be this famous considering how random that is. <laughs> like, yeah, I think she's do. also done heaps of other stuff, but I just can't, <laughs> can't recall. But um, in the first episode, it's actually quite um, horrible. She details um, when she was six years old another girl started sexually started yeah sexually abusing her during sleepovers and it's and it's um uh, i didn't know the statistic but one in three children who are sexually abused before they hit puberty are sexually abused by other children right and um so it was a female friend and she used to go for sleepovers because the family were the their families were close um and it happened for six years every single time Jessica would stay over. That's so far. Yeah, and um, Jessica said that she continued to try to sleep next to her little sister Ashley. The girl did, but oh. Jessica would always stay stay in the middle so that like oh. the girl could never touch Ashley. And oh she said God. from that point onwards, um, she's never had a good sleep. And she started taking sleeping pills at age twelve to get to sleep because of that. Um, and then so that reminds me of how that Whitney Houston documentary came out two or three years ago and it came out that she'd also been sexually abused by a female family member. And I just think it's a conversation that is like so, so, so rarely had Yeah. in pop culture at all. It's just something that you don't really think about happening. Yeah. It's, it's so sad. And then also the vast majority of children who abuse other children are being abused themselves. Right. So this girl told Jessica she was being abused by an older boy. And then went on to abuse Jessica. Yeah. You know why I'm really passionate about, um, (laughs) I'm passionate about childhood sexual abuse, but I'm passionate about the conversation about it because it's so fucking common. Mm. It's so common. Um, and obviously it's a horrible subject to talk about, but I think it's linked to so many other social issues that we try to bandaid fix. Yeah. Drug abuse, homelessness, uh, 
violent crime, domestic violence, this whole remit of things that are fucked up about the world. Yeah. It's always like a really high volume of people who um, do even like sex work and porn stars are like 90% victims of childhood sexual abuse. It's crazy. It like wow. proliferates, it proliferates our culture in such a... And alcoholism. Alcoholism. Yeah. yeah. Like so many problems that we want to fix can be brought back to this issue and yet it's so, so rarely discussed. I get why it's rarely discussed because even now we're talking about it and I'm like, Jesus, it's such a horrible fucking thing to think about. But yeah, it's so important to... Um, this is like going to be such a hectic episode because <laughs> we're talking about domestic violence as well. But, um, yeah, it's like that shame thing where you've got to kind of break down the barriers of acting like it's too taboo to talk about because that's the whole reason that people stay in these, like, cones of shame their whole lives. Mm. I know. It's so sad. So this is a very interesting deep dive. I'm really um, curious to listen to the next two episodes because I feel sorry for her. Yeah. Well, I think any any person that is in the public eye – and has been for ages. Anyone who's famous, they're always fascinating if you scratch the surface of them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, Jessica Simpson. And, like, she is a really interesting person. It's like, to be that famous, you have to be really good at what you do. Well, it's also crazy because what's happening with Britney Spears now? Mm. She keeps trying to file to get her dad removed. And then they keep not removing her dad, which I what's find so... What's with these naughty dads? Like, um, Amy Winehouse's dad... Britney Spears' dad. Jessica Simpson's dad. Jessica Simpson's dad. Just evil dads. Always. It's always an evil dad. <laughs> Where are the evil mums stealing all the money? They don't exist. I know. I'm sure they do. The mums are the ones pushing them into the spotlight, but then... Oh my God, my biggest fear is that I have a child that wants to be an actor, singer, or model. Yeah. I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm going to be the opposite of those parents that say those careers are too girly. I'd be the opposite and be like Chris Jenner. Like, I had you for a fucking reason. I didn't want kids. Okay. I'm going to make some money. Return on investment. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Um, Crazy. God, the only thing I watched this week was like super fucking dark as well. I'll just say it. This will be a dark episode. <laughs> so I watched on Netflix this new series called Room 2806, The Accusation. And it's about Dominic Strauss-Kahn, who was a. It the thing that's so interesting about the documentary is that it really set up the Me Too movement now. But so few people know the case, and happened in two thousand and eleven. And he was, by all estimates, going to be the next president of France. And he got accused of assaulting a maid at the I can't remember one of the really big hotels in New York City. And he got they took him off the plane as he was about to leave to go back to France and he was like tried. And basically it was at this time where so much of the discourse that we have now about what victims do and say about inconsistencies in stories, about things that happened in their past, like all of that played out and no one really cared about this woman because she was from West Africa and uneducated and English was her second language. And he was this super powerful man and the district attorney actually dropped the case and told them to not bother prosecuting it even though there was all this evidence. Oh, my God. And it goes into all this other stuff about what he's done, and he's just a horrible fucker. <laughs> I was just, like, like slamming my um, fist on the laptop So he just got away, away with it. He got away with it, and then there was more and more things that came out of gross shit that he'd done with women. And it's, a, it's just a really good watch to see how social – like, how far we've come in the conversation about 
sexual assault compared to this was only 2011 and it may as well have been conversations out of the 50s that were happening on like major news networks and in like interviews with him and stuff and I think sometimes we take for granted how different shit is now yeah it's kind of amazing yeah I think about that I was thinking about that when I was transcribing my interview with Gugu and Batha Raw and she stars and she's Hannah in the morning show and um the girl from that Black Mirror episode, San Junipero, where they, the lesbian relationship. Um, and she's also in this film called Misbehavior. And in it, basically, it's all about the women's liberation movement in the 70s when they had the Miss World contest. And it was super sexist and super misogynistic. And the women's liberation movement came and snuck into the Royal Albert Hall in London and attacked the stage and the guy who was the presenter Bob Hope that was his whole stand-up routine was just standing up there making horrible sexist Mm. jokes and the whole audience was laughing and we were talking about how that just doesn't happen like in the transcription Google was talking about how that can't happen anymore because we've come so far that it just wouldn't be okay and that seems um you forget and then you think yeah, I feel like we very rarely take a minute to stop and be like, wow, it's in- incredible. It's not like we should stop pushing, but it's incredible how far shit has come in such a short amount of time. Mm. It's just nuts to me. Like watching that footage of, um, they had the French interior minister who's like a really high up senior politician and she's a woman and she's like, he's really attractive. He gets lots of like good looking women. He wouldn't have to do this. You wouldn't have to assault someone, you know? And you're like, oh, my fucking God, this is so crazy. Like, this is literally how people who are still alive and in power think. Mm. Um, There was a cute story that we both read on The New Yorker about how dating in the pandemic is like a Jane Austen novel. And it's just a cute little bullet-pointed list. (laughs) about you one of the points is you regularly inquire about the health of each other's family members it's a long drawn out affair composed composed of public meetings the main characters lead quiet domestic lives the whole town feels invested in your behavior (laughs) clever planning is involved yes includes many brisk walks also i tried to post this on um our instagram but for some reason i couldn't the re-grammar wasn't working, but did you see on the cut how they how people on TikTok are um, pretending they're Kira Knightley? <laughs> it's so funny. I'll post it on our... What is it? Um, so the cut, I'll show you it. But the cut posted all these TikToks of people sh- pretending they're Kira Knightley, and they're so funny. I'm pretty off. This gazebo. This gazebo makes me want to eat. My Uber's here. My Uber's here. <laughs> Kira, I love the like completely nonsensical things that take off on TikTok. There just seems to be no rhyme or reason to that. I know. We're, just take we're too old to understand. <laughs> I feel bad when people ever go up Kira Knightley, but then I'm also like, you're just so posh. Yeah. Do you think that's the main thing? She doesn't feel like low-hanging fruit because she's, like, incredibly beautiful, rich, successful, I think and wealthy. You know, like, it doesn't feel like punching down, even though, obviously, to her it would feel that <laughs> Yeah, she's just like, why? Yes. I think it's because she's so um, posh, and she always got plays, like, period dramas or something. Yeah. Oh, wait, I have the best recommendation for you, mm. I just remembered, which is Hugh Grant on Fresh Air, talking to Terry Gross. Ooh. He's so awesome. I didn't realize how cool he is. Yeah. And he was really involved in that 
journalism inquiry in England in the 2010s. Are these really strong? Oh my god. I know. I, I just got a strict straight vodka. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, I know. That's I've almost I finished feel. my martini. Have you? I love Hoonda. Yeah, but that was straight vodka. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I love Hugh Grant, except for the time when he um, said that Julia Roberts was ba- a bad kisser. I just tried to eat the olive again, but I know I'm banned. You're not allowed. Because um, Julia Roberts, he said Julia Roberts was a bad kisser because she has a big mouth. I, I like, yeah, but it fucked. might just be his, he's just got a kooky sense of humour. He's actually not as funny as you would expect. He's quite That's like a lot of funny serious. people, I think. And he's talking about how he just kind of accidentally became a movie star, which is interesting because the first big movie he did was Four Weddings and he was 34. Oh. And that was his first movie. So heaps of his stuff was all in his late 30s, That's so early funny 40s. as well. Because he looks in, like 20. <laughs> yeah. And in, oh man, maybe I'm getting confused. But in either Notting Hill or Pretty Woman. I think it was Notting Hill. Julia Roberts was 20. So he would have been like 36. Yeah. He would be way older yeah, than her. Yeah. It's bloody Hollywood. Anyway, he was talking about all the crazy shit that the British tabloids did to him when he was a massive movie star. They broke into his apartment. He said he came home and the hinges, were, the door was gone. Like, they oh take the door off and the hinges off. The British tabloids are um, quite iconic. They're crazy. So they've broken into his apartment. Um, yeah, Hugh Grant's, like, iconic. So they've broken into his apartment. They tapped his phone. They put they put GPS on his car. They And they would, he said they would do things like pretend to work for British Telecom to get into your house. They'd, like, be in costume. What? To get into your house so they could That's... bug your phone lines. He said it was – no one realizes how crazy it was. He was like, they were gangsters, basically. And – they were completely untouchable because politicians were too scared to call out these newspaper owners because they basically decided elections. So he'd been affected by it for years and years and years and years. Um, what else did he say they did? It was so nuts. Like how they rented out an apartment across the road from Princess Diana's house and were just yeah. taking photos and while she was washing the dishes through her, the windows. Isn't that crazy? Mm. And obviously with all this phone tapping that mm. happened, they literally, no wonder she was paranoid. Like pretending you work at a a British phone service and coming in and tapping someone's phone. Anyway, when he was, how old was he? It was in 2011. So like 10 years ago, his, by chance, his car broke down in this random English countryside. And this person pulled up next to him and he thought it was someone who was going to help him. And they pulled out a long lens camera (laughs) and it turned out he was the ex features editor of news of the world, which is, I think his folded now was the worst tabloid. And Hugh Grant was like, fuck you. I'm not getting in the car. But then he agreed to get in the car with this guy eventually because no one else came. And the guy was talking about all this dodgy stuff that they did bragging about all the stuff that he knew that they'd done to Hugh Grant because Hugh Grant was being so rude to him. He was bragging about all the stuff that him and his editors had done to him in his heyday in the 90s. And so Hugh Grant went back to the pub that afternoon and secretly recorded him saying the same stuff and then published it in full. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then it became part of this huge inquiry. So he went back to the pub and was like, Talking to him to get the info. Yeah, yeah. I love like pretending him. Pretending to chat to him and then he published the whole thing and it was this big scandal. I love him. I know, wild. And crazy. This is so crazy. Do you know this? I was reading this because he said he had five children. And I was like, with who? He had a child with this woman. He's so chaotic. Had a child with this woman. Met his now wife. Had a child with her. Got back with the old woman. Had this a child like my with dad. her. <laughs> got back with the other woman and had two children with her so he like ping-ponged back and forth over 10 years between two women and between the two they've got five kids wild such a chaotic human my dad kind of did that yeah your dad your dad is hugh grant yeah 
<laughs> probably is. I'm probably not Maori at all. That's why, I'm so, that's why I look so white. <laughs> yeah, I love him. Yeah, I love him as well. I can't believe that Elizabeth Hurley... I, I can't believe they were together for 13 years. Iconic couples who were together before our time, so you kind of forget that they were together. And um, they were together before he got famous famous, which is strange. Yeah, right. I thought they were together for five minutes. 13 years is a really long time. A really long time. 87 to 2000. Even um, how Sienna Miller came out and was talking about Jude Law cheating on her. I thought they were... Why did she do that? Like, was that unprompted? Or did someone ask? Because, like, guys, I've got something to say about this 2004 scandal. Yeah, I know. She was doing an interview for a new movie, and I have no idea why she started talking about it. Someone prompted her, but I was like, I forgot you guys were together. But then when I think of them being together, I think of them being together for, yeah, like, decades. Like, so long. I thought they had children together, but it was his children to his previous marriage. Yes, Sadie Frost. And they'd only, him and Sienna had only been together for like a year when mm. he was cheating on her with the nanny. And then they broke up. And he, apo- he came out and did, did a, a public statement. apology. That's so awkward. That was like when it... Justin Timberlake did a public apology to Jessica Biel recently because he was caught uh, yeah. um, hooking up with his co-star or like so holding hands with her. Celebrities are so embarrassing. I know. None will be as embarrassing as Dominic West and his wife, but... Oh my God. <laughs> the <laughs> note? <laughs> Putting the note on the twigs? <laughs> That's so British. British people are just so fucking funny. I know. They're just so posh. But yes, and then Sienna Miller came out last week saying that she um, has blanked out that whole period of Robert Me about so many of my relationships. I know. I've actually blanked out that period (laughs) of my life, so I have no memories. But then they got back together again after that. Yes. Yeah. You know this. Like, I I feel like you, you were a Sienna girl. Yeah, I saw Factory Girl and was like, Ugh. I haven't seen Chomping that. at the bit. <laughs> Stupid little idiot teenager. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like it's just worth saying how fucked it is that someone got executed in America this week. Yeah. I guess I need to check that they did. Yeah, they definitely did. So in the past few days, there's been a lot of talk, uh, especially in london circles about florence given and her book women don't know you pretty um after chidera igari's uh instagram stories she's better known as the slum flower on instagram she posted an instagram about how the design and content um between two of her books what a time to be alone and how to get over a boy are eerily similar to florence's so these two women um have known each other for years they move in the same circles they were actually until very recently um represented by the same management and they've always kind of been packaged in this thing they've spoken on panel discussions together and Chidera actually did a testimonial for the front of Florence's book before she'd read it or seen it just about Florence herself mm-hmm. so on Instagram stories Chidera said women don't know you pretty is essentially an amalgamation of what a time to be alone and how to get over a boy pointing out that Florence's back page list of thanks features solely the names of black women including Chidera so Florence on the first page of her book and in her acknowledgements acknowledges how much she's learned from black women and basically saying that the content are lifted from the very people that she spotlights Chidera wrote black women did it first do we get recognition no black women continue to pave the way set the trends and set the pace this book is generating wealth black women's ideas generate wealth for white people but that wealth doesn't go to our community so 
Florence has since responded on Instagram with a statement which took her five days to write. Florence was saying she wants to continue her anti-racist work and and said that her book can't have been um, based off Chidera's second book, which came out a bit before Women Don't Know You Pretty, but it was after Florence had already handed in her final manuscript. But basically everyone's saying that it's more like Chidera's first book, which came out in 2018 anyway. But what Florence didn't acknowledge is that the her management, Diving Bell Group, have actually dropped Chidera effective immediately because of this backlash. And on their homepage, it is Black Lives Matter. And they just dropped a black woman in favor of a white woman who are very similar in all other respects. Lots on. There's a lot going on on Instagram right now um, about it and lots of discussions about it because... And, and we've been sitting... For the last couple of days trying to figure out how we feel about it because yeah because we've had florence on the podcast and we talked about her book when it came out and it's obviously been this huge phenomenon it's been a huge phenomenon it sold over a hundred thousand copies it's generated this like cult like following around her instagram account she calls it the flo- the quote unquote floss effect which has been getting criticism as well i guess and she has this whole community of women who are saying that the book has changed their lives so it was a really interesting thing to deep dive into because i think it's more complicated than maybe it looks on the surface yeah because on the surface what people are saying is neither of these women created the ideas that are in either of their books they're feminist concepts that have been around for at least 40 years florence credits naomi wolf and bell hooks for her understanding of these concepts and so you know you could look at it on the surface and say neither of them created this thing that they're selling but it kind of goes deeper than that because when chidera's first book was released what a time to be alone there actually weren't any other books around that packaged these concepts in such a palatable way she was the first kind of person with like the illustrations and the graphics and the the cute chapters and she's been blogging about it for years though these feminist theories have been around for years what Chidera actually became really famous for which she was blogging about for years and years before she wrote her first book was about dumping toxic boyfriends how it's great to be alone how you don't need to um be dating um and these are all of the kind of things that Florence has become the most famous for. So I think it's more, when you look at it more broadly, it's more that Florence has kind of modeled her persona and aesthetic on the slum flower. I think there's an interesting thing in this is that whether cognitively or not cognitively, but it seems like probably cognitively, Florence has like taken what has been successful for the slum flower and recreated it for herself a big problem and a big thing that um, Chidera is criticizing is how lauded Florence was for it versus how the reception to her book and her own social media following. And I think that there's something to be said for some fault lies with Florence given, but a huge amount of fault lies with how we as a culture responded to both books. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what I was saying to my friend today was we're not having a go at Florence given for writing a book that's helped thousands of young women and for being who she is it's more about the reception to a blonde hot white woman yes first that of a beautiful black woman who was saying the exact same thing who released the exact same book before her it's about the way that the management pushed 
each woman. It's about the way bookstores pushed each woman. Mm -hmm. It's about the way right now all over the streets in London are huge posters of Florence Given. Yes, the fact it's been called the Floss Effect is like giving the feeling that she has pioneered this new wave of feminist conversation and that she is the first person in recent memory to like repackage all these complicated academic scholarly concepts about feminism and give them to young women in a digestible, easy to understand way. It's not her fault that she's being framed that way. She's just, she's 21 years old. Like she's young. Yeah. (laughs) She's taken all of these different references and created a book out of it and put it into the world and it's resonated. But the problem with that is that she's now being heralded and held up as this like savior of feminism when a black woman has done the exact same thing two years earlier and And got a quarter of the response. Yeah, and Florence has credited the slum flower as being a huge inspiration and a huge reason that she does the work she does today. So I think it would be very, very frustrating. But that's the thing is it's like what to make of it because it's frustrating in any sense when anyone copies you. Mm. But I think the issue is more complicated because it comes down to race and racism in terms of learning from a black woman or a black community, taking those ideas and selling them and then making money. Mm -hmm. It's when the money exchange comes into it and these black women who you've learned from aren't getting any reparations. A conversation that I had with a friend after we put out our interview with Florence Given, where she said that, you know, I really appreciate what Florence does and I think that she's got incredible intentions and she's great, but it doesn't sit right with me that the person that's giving that this message is someone who ticks like every single box of conventional white, blonde, blue-eyed, thin attractiveness. Mm. You know, it's like how palatable she was to deliver this message is not her fault. And the book is about how pretty is a privilege and it's a social currency and how she needed to examine the ways that being conventionally attractive in a white supremacist society has given her all of these benefits. But then the funny part about that is like just saying that you've got all these benefits while you're getting all of these benefits through you saying it. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like it's 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 really difficult to figure out what the right thing to do is. Because yeah, I'm like, I don't wish, I don't think we want to say that we wish she never wrote the book well, then when you, we know that it's affected people's lives in a good way. But it's like... But then you said to me, what should she have done? Should she yeah. have not written the book? And then we sat for it, with it for a second. And then I thought, well, maybe not. Not if this book already existed. Mm. And a black woman who she is well aware of had already written it. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't, shouldn't have. Written it. Yeah. I think another thing that... Gaudem did a really great piece that we both loved about this conversation. It was called In the Battle of the Slumflower versus Florence Given, the only winner is the publishing industry. And something they brought up, which I think is really great, is that Florence is 21, Chidera was 24 when her book was written. These are very young women to be even given publishing deals. And it's like the question is, should young girls who are really earnest and really excited about feminist conversations and who are building like followings online with their artwork and with their graphics and with their like cute approach, get a cute and palatable approach mm. to a complicated social issue. Should these people be given the platform of an entire book? Because that's kind of in a way setting them up for failure to write a whole book on feminism really you should need like decades of experience or an academic background or something 
that gives you the, the or something that has given you the relevant life experience and world understanding to be able to comment on something so complicated but obviously publishing houses are giving these girls six-figure book deals because they know they're going to sell because of their massive instagram their instagram followings but some i saw someone say like florence given should just have an instagram account that shares infographics and shares her artworks and shares her igtvs talking about issues and that's it like she doesn't need a book deal because that's kind of putting her on this huge platform that she's probably not ready for yet that she doesn't have the life experience and the people around her to write something that I don't know, but then it's like people are responding to it. Well, she, she she wrote a really good book, but heaps of people are saying the really good book is cop- so heavily copied that perhaps she wasn't ready to write one herself. That's what I mean. It's like yeah. how much how much do you know at twenty one to be able to write an original yeah take about dating about and current feminist and theory feminist and theory. how it relates to stuff. The things you're going to write are just inevitably going to be similar because you don't have many reference points to go off. You know what I mean? Mm. That's not excusing what Florence did, but I I'm like, what else would she write about? <laughs> yeah. So this is what Gal. This is from the Gal piece. Both Florence and Chidera share a management team. This is before Chidera's management team dumped her effective immediately because of this and an agent. It doesn't seem a stretch to say that both influencers have been packaged in the same mold of accessible, vibrant young feminist whose ideology ironically centers men by going on all the time about how we should be dumping them. Mm-hmm. To Chidera's credit, this was a lane she carved out independently via blogging. That success was wholly her own and has been capitalized upon and copied by agencies hoping to do the same with their own nascent feminist Instagram honeys. So, yeah, it's not about copying the feminist theory. It's about copying the aesthetics and the and, and the way you package that feminism which was already done in a book which Florence has just redone so I don't think she can be excused wholly no and I do think that her I I, I really do like I, I, this isn't a pile on Florence thing this is just us both examining because Chidera has also been accused in the past of copying sex workers for a lot of her content it's it's and yeah, and she was also embroiled in like a massive scandal where she was writing some like truly heinous things on her Twitter being like, I don't give a shit if men commit suicide and stuff. But I'm like, to me, that's just evidence of how young all the people in this conversation are. Yeah. You know, there's a level of naivety to all of this, to Florence's response to this, to the content of both books, to the Slum Flowers discussion of it. You know, it feels young because the people involved are young. Mm. <laughs> Florence's statement has kind of been pulled apart a bit by people just saying the fact that she took so long to make the statement and then the fact that she also just said her manuscript was in before Chidera's second book was published when it was actually this whole conversation about her 2018 book not her second book mm. but and then also the the how calm she was in responding kind of in a way makes Chidera seem like this angry black woman who's being unreasonable it just mm. it's all a lot is going on um but i think that chidera even herself said that she wants she doesn't want this to be a a whole huge cancellation thing she was speaking out because she wants uh an an acknowledgement and for florence i guess to donate some of the profits from her book to black organizations which she has said on instagram that she has been doing yeah i know it's really difficult i i I think the same thing there's you can be against cancel culture without thinking and while also thinking that people who do the wrong thing whether intentionally or not intentionally should be held to account and I think this is a really good example of that where it's 
It's funny because Hannah Betts wrote a piece for LUK this week called The Collapse of the Sisterhood. And it was all about how aggressive infighting is affecting the progression of the feminist movement. And she kind of brought up all the things that me and you have been talking about the last six months, like the wing and man repeller and the ways that there's become this kind of pile on culture when people who have, who clearly have good intentions make mistakes. And there was a certain extent to which I agreed with what she was saying. But at the same time, it's like, you can't just ignore blatant troubling issues with people just because you like what that person represents. You know, if you can like what Florence Given represents and acknowledge the fact that she's probably helped a lot of people and that she's probably changed a lot of people's lives whose lives wouldn't have been changed if they hadn't read her book and also acknowledge that it's really fucked up for a really attractive young white blonde author to have made all this money and have all this fame and this huge platform that she calls the floss effect off the back of a book that was written by a black woman while also writing really publicly on her Instagram accounts that she's committed to anti-racism work and like does the work and blah, blah, blah. That's like more egregious than most things that white people <laughs> do. Yeah. It's like blatant. Yeah. yeah. Like... And also the fact that her management diving bell group have dropped Chidera and have stood by Florence and Florence hasn't said anything about that. And on their freaking homepage, it's a black lives matter. Yeah. It does seem really hypocritical. And I think that Florence said in her statement, you know, when my book came out, Chidera had been my friend for a long time. And when she saw the book, the final product, she asked me to have her pull quote removed from the cover. And she said something along the lines of, I was confused about why, but I just did what she said. And I was like, no, no, no. That's the point where you get the person in the room and say, whoa, 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 what's happened? Like, what's the problem here? And you work through it and you sit down and you have an open discussion. So even the fact that she's known that this has been a problem for really long and hasn't had any sort of transparency about the fact that she's publicly promoting this book while behind the scenes, a black woman has been accusing her of copying her. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like that's kind of... It's different. It's like... It's like... Feminism is supposed to be revolutionary. And the problem with that is that it's incompatible with this kind of super capitalistic success that we're talking about. Like, if your feminism is genuinely radical, you're probably not going to be getting a cover story in Glamour or all of these kind of profiles from these mainstream outlets or be in the front of every single Waterstones. What's well, like Clementine Ford? Yeah. No one touches her, really. Yeah, because it, yeah, that's what I mean. And it's like these, this new generation of what do they call it? Pop feminism. Pop feminism. Like feminism light or whatever. You're occupying this space where you're kind of touching on. It's like the criticism I made about Taylor Swift, where I was like, I feel like she comes to concepts the exact moment where it's so safe for her to come near them. Mm. You know, it's been treaded by a trillion people who are actually putting their neck out. And then once it's been covered and covered and covered to death and everyone's done it and there's going to be zero controversial backlash, then she's like, feminists can wear pink. And you're like, okay, bitch, like we talked about that five (laughs) years ago, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It kind of feels like there's an element of that in this thing where the slum flower was the one doing things that felt radical at the time and putting her neck out. It's like she walked so Florence could run, literally. Yeah. She set up the groundwork Mm. and then Florence came in and was like, dump him. And everyone's like, what? Yeah, and how fucking <laughs> frustrating would that yeah. be if that was your friend? Mm. If I'd written a book two years ago, <laughs> and then you wrote the exact I was like, same so I've got book this idea um... two years later, 
<laughs> I'd be like, get the fuck out. Are you joking? That would be so, like, just literally think about it like that. That would be so frustrating. Take out yeah. all of the other elements in, in terms of race and the way that Florence has been marketed above Chidera and the fact that there's posters of her all over the city right now and take it down to two people who are literally friends and know each other copying yeah. someone that much. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like... Uh, um, <laughs> it's my fucking book. We sit down at dinner. I'm like, okay, I've got this idea. I'm gonna write this book. It's gonna have illustrations. It's gonna have like pop out things. It's gonna have infographics. It's gonna be about how you should dump your toxic boyfriend. And she's just like, um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that it's as you said important for us to look at the wider forces at play here. Mm-hmm. That management group managed them both. Would have seen both manuscripts. Would have mm-hmm. known about what both women were doing and wanted to push them both forward even though they're super young because it makes money they would have just been seeing the, the checks mm-hmm. um this is another quote from the galzam article which was written by moya lothian mclean she says none of this means that young women with a passion for feminism don't have something to say or that someone can only write a book if they're over 30 years old but having 300,000 followers on instagram doesn't automatically mean that you follow a set path that ends with you writing a book especially when many of these works are quasi-self-help guides in which the author hands out advice about a range of life experiences they have yet to encounter. Yeah. Yeah. You want to write a book? <laughs> if I wrote a book, it would be like... So yeah, and even I love this Galdim author so much. She said something like, um, in it, she said, if someone offered me... Yeah, if you had offered me a book contract at 20, I'd have chewed your arm off for it. No bother that I had fuck all to say. <laughs> me? <laughs> I remember when I was 20, I was like, I'm going to write a book. And now I'm just like... Fuck, I just, I find that so, such a wanky thing to think because I'm like, you're, what, you're going to write a book about what? Like, what do you have to say that someone hasn't said before you? Well, yeah, and that's how I told you that the average age that people write books, that write, the average age that people write novels is 36. Yeah, because I'm like, you've got, no, I've got nothing to say now. You need life experience yeah. to write. I was always like, why haven't I written a screenplay that's going to change the world yet? Because I'm like, what the fuck does the world want to listen to what you have to say? <laughs> yeah. What have bitch? you done that no one else has done? <laughs> what novel do you have to write that people haven't written before yeah, you? Yeah, what's like tucked away inside of you that the people just need to hear? I find that when I write all the time. Like, I'll write, I'll try to write like essays or first person things sometimes. And I'm like, no one cares, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep doing this to yourself, Grace? Why do you keep writing this, Grace? <laughs> I tried to write one the other day about, God, what was it about? It was about, like, how happy going shopping again made me. And about how, I know, <laughs> Lena Dunham 2.0. Oh, my God. But I was trying to, like, come up with an angle about, like, is it actually okay to um, find your identity in clothes or something? And as I was writing it, I was just like, God, this is just so obnoxious. Yeah. Why do you, you have you have to have something to say? You have to have a unique. I mean, the girls that have a podcast, the girls that have a podcast. I know, but that's what I think all the time. I I'm constantly surprised that people want to listen to us. Yeah, talk crap all the Thank time you for listening. But we're not. Even, I feel like people are listening to us to just have a conversation. They're not listening to us really to learn. Yeah, <laughs> are they? Surely not. <laughs> um. Yeah, I know. I know. But obviously, if you got offered it, this is the thing that's funny. Is like the echo chambers that are created now, where if we were twenty one, God, if I was twenty one and I was given a book deal, like, can you imagine? Like, Five Kevin did a really good job for being a twenty one. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. You know what She's I mean? She's very, 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 very smart. Yeah, I would have written something pathetic, and if I had people all around me saying. This is so great. You're literally amazing. Blah, 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 blah. I would have complete blinkers on, you know? Yeah. But it wouldn't excuse it if I'd copied it off someone else. Yeah, exactly. 
<coughs> Why am I smoking again? I know. <laughs> I kind of want another drink, but then I'm like, do I just relax? Because it's we're talking about domestic violence. I just relax. <laughs> How come so we can't drink yours? It's so strong. It's just two shots. I know, but it's two one stronger one. than usual. How much do you put of gin? Yeah, two. I don't know. I'm just responding <laughs> badly. <laughs> it's not your fault. Okay. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay. Um, on to another serious topic. FK Twigs is suing Shia LaBeouf, her ex-boyfriend, um, accusing her of sexual battery, assault, and infliction of emotional distress. Um, I'm not sure if the piece written by the New York Times was an exclusive she gave to yeah, them. Yeah, it was. An yeah. Interview with her. Yeah. So it was really incredible. I think, like, I think it's a genuinely groundbreaking moment in our culture. I can't think of a time recently where a celebrity who was dating a very famous celebrity came out and spoke so openly about something like this. She's incredibly brave. Me too. I love it so... I love her so much. And the New York Times noted in their piece that it's really, really uncommon for charges like this to be laid against someone because usually it is when you're either trying to get a restraining order or when you're going through a custody custody battle or divorce battle, it's not usually when the person has left in a safe that this happens and FK Twigs came out and said it may be surprising to you to learn that I was in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship it was hard for me to process too during and after I never thought something like this would happen to me which is why I've decided it's important for, for me to talk about it and try to help people understand that when you're in coercive control of an abuser or in an intimate partner violent relationship leaving doesn't feel like a safe or achievable option I hope that by sharing my experience, I can truly help others feel like they're not alone and shed some light on how those who are worried somebody they care about maybe an abusive relationship can help because I understand it can be confusing and it can be confusing and hard to know what to do. The statistics on domestically abusive and intimate partner violence relationships are shocking and during COVID, I've been really anxious because I know many victims will have been literally trapped with their abusers with no way or relief to get out. My second worst nightmare is being forced to share with the world that I'm a survivor of domestic violence. My first worst nightmare is not telling anyone and knowing that I could have helped even just one person by sharing my story. God, she's so amazing. And she will she will help so many people because I think that such a common theme... I think maybe she said this in her caption where she said that, like, across every abusive relationship, the common theme is almost always that every woman takes longer than they should to realize because every woman does not think they're the kind of woman that this kind of thing can happen to. Yes. And that it's done in such a 
manipulative, slow build over time thing that is peppered with genuine love and affection or with over-the-top displays of affection. It's a tiny portion of a whole relationship and the people are usually very charming and charismatic and are very, very good at isolating you, chipping away at your self-esteem and creating a system in which you suddenly find yourself so deep in the situation and you're like, how the fuck did I get here? Um, And I think the fact that someone that was in what was considered a really glamorous, attractive, Hollywood, glitzy, artistic relationship can come out and say that something as awful as this could happen, it really like shakes up the narrative of what we think domestic violence looks like. Yeah, which is why it's so important. So another of Shia's ex-girlfriends, Carolyn Foe, uh, described similar experiences to the New York Times, um, saying that once Shia allegedly drunkenly pinned her to a bed and head-butted her enough that she bled, Mm. and that was the first time she realized she was in an abusive relationship. So it Mm. took that for her to realize that she was in an abusive relationship. Yeah, and in the lawsuit, FKA Twigs says that the early days of the relationship, which is also um, very common, were marked by over-the-top displays of affection, in abusive relationships, there's often a honeymoon phase, as some experts call it, that builds intimacy and sets a be- benchmark for how happy the romance could be. It serves as a powerful lure, though flashes of bliss may remain. They're meted out through increasingly controlling demands and impossible standards of behavior. So FKA Twigs says that Shia convinced her to stay with him in Los Angeles instead of going back to her home in London, where her and her professional circle lived which is a step towards isolating her from her friends. He would often say that her creative team used her, which led her to doubt them. Um, She said that he kept a loaded firearm by the bed and that she was scared to use the bathroom at night in case he mistook her for an intruder and shot her. He didn't let her wear clothing to bed. He would um, spin small disagreements into an all-night fight, which deprived her of sleep. And her album's release, which is her... um, incredible album Magdalene was delayed multiple times and her tour was rescheduled at great cost which has never happened before um and FK Twigs says the whole time I was with him I could have bought myself a business plane flight back to my four-story townhouse in Hackney in London and yet she didn't he brought me so low below myself that the idea of leaving him and having to work myself back up seemed impossible yeah I think that the crazy thing about this as well is that like the way that women have been the way that heterosexual women have been trained to see romance can make the early lines of toxic controlling behavior seem blurred mm-hmm. um so like partners acting like they're acting in the best interest of your career saying you know your agents are just trying to exploit you you're overworked enough you need a break um i'll look after you stop what you're doing or things like that or saying like your friends aren't good for you these things where making you feel like you can't live without them yeah making you feel like um they're this strong figure for you that's going to look after you and make things better for you and it's the only person that cares about you because we have this messy patriarchal culture where men are kind of encouraged to look over women look after women in certain ways like pay for things financially we've talked about this before that can also mean that it's like a while before you notice the behavior's bad because it's not jarring when it starts because we have this like weird gross chivalry quote unquote culture that encourages women to accept men assuming a dominant relate like a dominant um role role in the relationship um 
And it's crazy that she's, it's so great that she said that as well, because it's just incredible to think that someone, as she said, who had the money and the means, most women don't have the money to Yeah, she has her own home. Most people don't have a place to go to. Most people are tied down with children or with like interlocked family situations. And she had none of that. And yet just the coercive control in and of itself was enough to keep her there. Mm. It's crazy. She said, what I went through with Shia was the worst thing I've ever been through in my whole life. I don't think people would ever think that it would happen to me, but that's the thing. It can happen to anybody. Yeah, Shia actually has responded, and I found his response really shit. He basically blamed alcoholism and PTSD and just apologized. And said that he'd like mistreated lots of people in his life yeah. and that he's coming to deal yeah, with and, it. And yeah, and I'm sorry for doing that. I can't make any excuses. I'm just an alcoholic with PTSD. Mm. It's like, no, dude, if you're headbutting a girl so hard she bleeds mm. you can't just say sorry about that i've done that to a few people yeah sorry my and, bad um he says with uh, fk twig said there was a time when he was driving so recklessly in la on a street that she thought they were going to crash and he said that he would not slow the car down unless she promised to never leave him or something and yeah. then they got out at a petrol station and he like pulled her out of the car and like threw her to the side and she said that she expected when that happened because it was the first time he'd done it publicly that people would intervene and there was just a whole group of people around and no one did anything, hmm. which is really um, concerning. I was, I don't know why I was surprised about this after seeing Honey Boy, which is where they actually met. FKA Twigs was, oh. FKA Twigs was cast in Honey Boy. She's in Honey Boy. And that's when they met and started dating afterwards. And Honey Boy is a story about his life. Mm-hmm. And in it, they show him as being an alcoholic with going to rehab being they don't show him i'm trying to remember if they showed him being violent towards a woman i don't think they did but they showed him in this drunken thing in his caravan where a woman left really upset and they showed him crashing a car with a woman in it and stuff Mm. um so yeah but it's really interesting to see that this has come out like even right after olivia wilde fired him from Mm. don't worry darling because of his behavior it's just this kind of Poor me, I'm a tormented child star. Isn't yeah, you're acting fly. like you're just an artistic, yeah, creative soul who does crazy things, mm. and it's just like fuck off. That's not an excuse anymore. Yeah. And so we talked a bit last week about how common domestic violence is, and and how it's been really exacerbated by the pandemic. And so we wanted to get an expert on to basically talk about some of the kind of early telltale signs and how to get help if you need it. Um, my auntie, um, is a domestic violence, uh, worker. She's been a manager of multiple shelters across England and Australia. Um, so we had a quick chat to her to get a sense of how domestic violence situations happen and the things that you can do if either you or a friend are experiencing it to get out of it. So here is Melissa Rowe. Enjoy. Hi. (laughs) Um, so the first question I wanted to ask is about the way that you've seen the pandemic impact your work either directly. I know Perth hasn't been super impacted by COVID luckily, um, but either directly or in general, the way you've seen this pandemic affect your work at the shelter. Absolutely. I think when we first, when it first kind of came and we were all in lockdown, everybody was really, really scared and it was really hard because we had, we had five families locked in the refuge, literally. Um, and that was just hard because everyone was really scared and we didn't know how long for or what was going to happen and everything else. But at that time, 
we probably saw a drop in referrals to the service. There was less because I think it kind of feels felt like people felt safer in the environment they were in, even though it wasn't particularly safe for them. Do you know what I mean? Better mm. the devil you know than yeah. the devil you don't, that kind of thing. So we kind of saw um, a drop in numbers then. And I'm just talking really about my service. Um, and then we saw quite, once the lockdown had finished, we saw quite a lot of women return to partners. So they actually went back to partners, the mm. ones that had been in the refuge. And since then, we've had a lot of them come back. So obviously, you know, things have been difficult. Um, the DV hasn't gotten away, obviously. It's reoccurred and it's made worse, I think. They're all saying now because lots of people have lost their jobs, financial stuff is really difficult and those kind of things. Mm. The biggest thing we're seeing now is a real major housing crisis in WA. So we, I don't know if you're aware, but because of everything that happened, lots of people returned. So the private rental market has just kind of disappeared and all the private rents have gone up and um, lots of the FIFO workers for WA brought their families over to WA because of the restrictions and the border closures. So they couldn't keep going backwards and forwards. So for our clients now, they're just it's impossible for them to get a private rental and they put a rental um, monitorium in place. So there's no way anybody can be evicted, uh, you know, from department mm. housing or from private rentals or anything else. So it's just, it's just come to a major standstill, um, which is a real risk for women because they've got nowhere to go if they try and leave. We've got clients in the refuge that we can't move on anywhere else. So we're all a bit worried about what's going to happen next, if you see what I mean, because normally Christmas and New Year and school holidays and it's hot over here, they're all times when often we see an increase in domestic violence. So it's kind of had a, a bit of a knock-on, you know, a knock-on effect. We're not really, I think we're still doing lots of studying at the moment. We're still trying to kind of collect numbers and things like that. Um, and I think the police are now talking about they've seen an increase um, in call-outs to domestic family violence incidents. Not a massive one, I don't think, but they still see it. You know, there's been an increase of somewhere about 10%, I think it is. We had we just talked in the episode that this interview will be played in um, about the fact that very often it takes women a while to recognise the situation they're in because most women consider themselves to be people that couldn't end up in a domestic violence situation and often it's a kind of escalation of controlling or emotionally manipulative behavior that escalates over time so we wondered if you could tell us some of the earlier red flags uh, that women can be aware of in relationships in the kind of early days yeah absolutely um i guess one of the things that lots of women tell us is that their relationship moved very fast from the beginning so they met, I mean, I'm talking DV relationships happen in all kinds of relationships. Obviously, I work with women who are victims or survivors and usually men are the perpetrators. But lots of the women tell us that, you know, they were kind of wined and dined very quickly. The relationship moved very fast. Um, they were kind of pressured into spending all their time with the guy. Mm. Um, and that, I think in hindsight, they see that as you know he was trying to isolate them from friends and from family and it was all love and they all got caught up with the fact that you know he wanted to spend all his time with her um but actually over time that becomes a real pressure so that's one of the red flags i think that we see and often women are you know he, he might be talking about let's get married really quickly or let's have a baby really quickly and often women find themselves in those situations before they really realize the, you know 
know the, the significance so mm. he seems so loving and caring and spoils her and makes a big fuss of her and she's special and she's the only one those kind of things um obviously that's not always the case there are some you know true true relationships and true love that actually works like that and i guess that's one of the early things that ha- you know that is if there's ever been a history of domestic violence or violence if he's ever been violent to other people other women or previous partners or it's just generally violent you know loses his temper quickly mm. that will be a, a definite red flag often the women tell us that the guys are really jealous and they want to know where she is and what she's doing all the time um you know if she's they're out together and some bloke looks at her or something like that that he gets really jealous and, and what have you one of the things we tell women or we say to women is in the early days um you know kind of stick to your guns if you want to go and see your sister or your friend or go to a party then you kind of stick to your guns and see what his reaction is and if there's a real big fuss and what have you it's a kind of red flag that he wants to control he wants to be the one that makes all the decisions so kind of do a test i suppose i think as well something we talked about this is a bit off topic but is how we live in a culture that like codes chivalry and masculinity in ways that can make some of those red flags not visible straight away where it's like um you know like you said he always wants to see me he's so loving he um he just wants to spend all his time with me he's you know he wants to keep me away from maybe people that he thinks are not good for me or he doesn't want me to have to work or there's like this these kind of cultural things that make it even harder sometimes to pinpoint if something is (laughs) bad behavior or not yeah you're absolutely right, absolutely. You know, you don't need to work. I can look after you, I can care for you, you can give up your job, all those kind of things, which, you know, on the surface look like he wants to look after you and, like you say, very kind of chivalrous and everything else. But often as time goes by, there are actually ways of isolating you or the, the, the woman from friends or family or colleagues at work or anyone that she can actually go to for support and help if, if things, you know, start to go wrong, really. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about how I think there are a lot of myths around, you know, why don't women leave or why do women go back to bad situations? Um, And I just wondered if you could kind of explain why the conversation is so much more complicated than why didn't they leave? Absolutely. Well, the the question shouldn't be why didn't they leave. The question should be why is he violent or, you know, why doesn't he stop being awful to her or whatever it is. For a lot of women, it's fear. A lot of women are actually threatened. If you leave me, I will, you know, kill you or I'll hurt you or take the kids away from you or those kind of things. But there are just, there's millions of reasons, really. Um, Often because the women have been so isolated from their friends and families, they've actually got nowhere to go. Mm. And lots of women don't actually know about services that are available, about refugees and safe houses and things like that. Um, and often those places, you know, refugees and that, they don't, they're often communal, so families are living together, so people are put off, people are frightened to go there, and, you know, they're, they're nervous about doing those things. Um, there's lots of reasons. As I say, often we have women that say, I still love him, you know, if it wasn't for the drugs, or it wasn't for the drink, or it wasn't for everything, you know, different things like that, or, the, you know, he's just lost his job, he's a great dad, all those kind of things. Um, lots of women... If they leave, they're homeless often. They've got nowhere to go. Um, and they've often got no money because the guys have often been the ones that have controlled all the money. Mm. Um, there's some of the reasons. I mean, we're seeing a lot here now with um, things like 
visas, women on visas, women that have got no access to income over here in Australia. So actually leaving is really, really hard because they've got no way of actually supporting themselves. Mm. Um, I guess having lived in a domestic violence situation for a long time, women become, they self-blame. They think it's their fault because that's what they're consistently told all the time. So they're kind of self-blame, self-doubt. They don't think that they can actually move on and do things themselves and look after the kids themselves and that they can build a new life for them, you know, a new life for themselves. Often they're, you know, very embarrassed and very ashamed of the situation and don't want to actually go and tell anybody what's actually going on. And often they would feel really guilty. One of the things women tell us a lot is that they feel really guilty about taking the kids away from their dad. Because often the kids, you know, they want to see dad, they want to go home and all the rest of it. So they're in that real kind of quandary about do I stay so that the kids have got a relationship with their dad or do I leave because that's actually safer? And often it isn't safer to actually leave. One of the things that all the research has shown is that um, at the time a woman makes a decision to leave and actually leaves is is one of the most dangerous times Mm. for her and for the children. So there's, that's a few. There's probably another 10 reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're hard questions to like answer fully. But um, as you just touched on, um, a lot of women aren't given education about the resources that are available to them. So could you just give a, a bit of a top-level rundown of the options that they have if they're in this situation? Um, I think, like you said at the beginning, now in WA, there's lots of resources. There's lots of ad- there's ad- adverts on the TV at the moment and on the radio and everything else to try and actually get the word out there that domestic and family violence isn't acceptable and that there are services out there available. There's, I mean, over here we have 1-800-RESPECT, so telephone helplines and counselling services that anybody can access. They do online chats and all those kind of things. But each state has its own... Um, kind of network of, of um, services that people can contact and then they will actually point them into the, you know, they'll direct them to the more local services in the different areas. But there's lots of services here now, not just refugees, there's lots of outreach services, there's safe at home programs where women are able to actually stay in their own homes and have additional security and cameras and things like that added to their house if, you know, it's a violent part perpetrator is not actually there anymore there's lots of group programs there's lots of programs for children because i think we're really recognizing now that living in a family domestic violence situation does have its effect on children even if they're not you know in receipt of any of the physical violence they're listening to what's going on and they're aware of some of the things that are going on Mm -hmm. so i guess there are lots of services around um and I think with online and things like that now, it's much easier to access some of those things. And the last thing I wanted to ask was, you know, given the amount of people that listen to this podcast every week, a not insignificant amount of women listening will either be recognizing the behavior we're talking about, will have experienced in the past the behavior we're talking about or are actively experiencing it themselves what would you say to women who are in a situation that they don't know how to get out of i guess the biggest thing for me would be to listen to their gut instincts if it doesn't feel right if they're feeling you know scared or fearful about being in their own house or about how their partner is going to react to a certain thing and that's not just a once-off occasion, that's a kind of ongoing situation, then listen to your gut instinct, something's not right. Mm. Um, 
I guess the next thing would be to actually find someone that you can talk to, whether that's a friend or a family or anybody that you can actually share that with. Um, and I think my advice would really be then go look for some information if you can go online or go and actually talk to a professional person that actually is you know, informed about domestic and family violence because I think having that conversation with someone will help that woman be clearer about the situation that she's in and, you know, how dangerous that is. That'll help her to, 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 to think of some safety plans or some things that she can put in place. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to, you know, put pressure on her to leave or do anything, but it's just to help her understand that situation so that she can make some informed decisions about what she wants to do next, really. Um, there is lots of information out there now and there are lots of services out there now. Um, so hopefully anybody that's listening will, will will think about actually doing some of that, finding out a bit more and actually seeking some help and some support. Oh, and sorry, the last thing I wanted to ask as well was also, you know, if it's happening to a certain amount of people, that means that it's probably happening to friends of yours, right? So is there, do you think that, there's something to be said for kind of not interrogating friends, but um, opening up the conversation with friends. Or if you notice that a friend's partner behaves in a particular way, kind of not treating it as a taboo subject. Do you, do you think there's an element of Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Just check in with her that she's feeling okay. Or if there's anything you can do, or just let her know that you're there if she wants to talk. Because like you said, I think often women don't fully understand the situation that they're in and it takes those conversations. Um, and, you know, they're not gonna, they're not necessarily going to open up straight away. So it just means if someone can reach out and just check in, you know, that you're okay, if there's anything I can do, do you want to come over for a coffee, those kind of things, it just makes people more, you know, more trusting and more able to share if things are difficult for them. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for your time that was all right that was easy grace ah. hopefully i didn't say anything too silly no that was incredible um it makes me feel really happy that we're having this conversation as well Okay, so thank you everyone for listening. We really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, if you did, please rate, review and subscribe. Tell a friend. Just before we go, we do have one little exciting announcement for you all. Yes, so we were planning on taking a break over the Christmas and New Year period. But because we love you guys, we instead have teamed up with our friends at Ultraviolet to bring you a very ultra summer, which is six weeks of back-to-back -back interview episodes with some of the best people ever. Yeah, so you may have noticed we haven't had an interview go up for a few weeks now. Part of that is because we've kind of backlogged our dream list of people that we've been desperate to speak to all year and we pulled them all together to curate the very best interviews that we could to bring to you over your summer holidays when there's a little bit less content around so we're really excited for the first one to kick off on Saturday. As you all would have heard us talk about on the podcast before we are forever fans of Ultraviolet. We absolutely love the brand so we've spoken about it before on the podcast but basically it was founded to make sunscreen more chic uh, an incredible formula that looks and feels like a serum so you protect your skin every day without clogging your pores or lugging around a big ugly tube of sunscreen you put it on as part of your beauty routine in the morning um, and we have avidly worn it for years so to 
coincide with Ultraviolet's Skin Screen Holiday Collection. We've partnered with them to bring you this series, which is a very ultra summer, and it's all about being ultra, which we absolutely love. Yes, because we are, if nothing else, very ultra, aren't we, <laughs> Yes. We love a good <laughs> love a good shopping spree on uh, about on a budget of 20 pounds. And also on a semi-serious note, it's a company run by two young Australian women, Ava and Beck. And obviously we've been talking a lot this year about kind of voting with your wallet and supporting the right businesses. And we're really passionate about supporting sort of young female-led brands, which is another part of the reason that we're really stoked to be partnering with them because they're just fantastic people who created a fantastic product. What's not to love? And as part of our Very Ultra Summer, we wanted to include you, our lovely listeners. So we've asked you on our Instagram and Facebook pages to send in the most ultra thing you've ever done. So, I mean, for me, I mean, it's pretty much what I'm doing every day. Right now, I'm in the countryside wearing boots that I don't even want to disclose how expensive they are. And they have mud all over them because I've been stomping through the mud and forgot to bring trainers. (laughs) <laughs> and my brand new pair of jeans has mud all over them as well. Whereas I just spent the equivalent to like $50 getting sushi and Diet Coke delivered to the house on Deliveroo because I was too lazy to walk two minutes down the street to get stuff from the grocery store. So you guys get it. It's the AWD vibe. So yeah, just the most ultra things you've ever done. Send them in a voice note to us at hello at afterworkdrinks.net and we will include you on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much, guys. We've got one more episode of our That Time of the Month series with Me Collective coming out. And then on Saturday, we're launching a very ultra summer. So you lucky ducks, you get a whole lot of us this week. Aren't you blessed? Bless, bless, bless. And then you'll get a drunken Christmas episode. Yes, you will. So we will see you very soon. And we love you guys. And goodbye. Mm, Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 